when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, Shane, feeling good? The dark, dark darkness of the SEC offseason has kind of technically come to an end here, Shane, because we got spring football in Nashville. The Commodores have already hit the field for their first practice of spring. And then we got South Carolina kicking off things here on Wednesday. So if you hear a little extra pep in my voice, Shane, it's because we got a little SEC football to talk about. (laughs) Can you believe it, man? Right here at Valentine's, too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it, dude. I mean, I know it's spring, but I I, I just love any time I can see tangible football, you know, and it won't be long. We're going to start getting some updates, and we're going to get some separation. I mean, you got to remember, about this time last year, we were starting to get excited about that new LSU offense and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these uh, young kids on the field. So I'm pumped up, man. I'm ready for spring ball already. I don't know about you, Shane, but I'm ready for some videos out there about, my God, look how look how big these guys are this year. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's about that time, right, when they take the picture before and after, like, look, when he just got on campus, he's probably put 30 pounds of muscle on. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's also, it's a good time to, to, to get false expectations, too, you know. You always find one or two, and you're like, oh, man, this kid, he's, he's going to have a breakout year, and then you never see him again. So... Uh, it's spring ball, Mike. I love it. I hope everybody stays healthy. But, you know, any chance that we get to watch college football, I'm, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Well, we got a great interview lined up with Chris Lee of Vandy Sports. And we actually got some comments here from Derek Mason. But before we get to those, Shane, we got a couple news items around the league. You ready to go around the league, buddy? Let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around. My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, 
uh, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys! Hey! I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you! All right, Shane, let's start here in College Station. Giga Maggots. It's kind of a Texas A&M and an LSU story because Texas A&M has hired a running backs coach and they reached into Baton Rouge to get it. Tommy Robinson, former LSU running back coach, has now taken the place of Jay Graham, who obviously went to Tennessee. So Texas A&M now has a running back coach. And then LSU quickly turned around and has promoted Kevin Falk one of the all-time great running backs in that school's history and you know went on to the NFL success. He's been working on staff there just as like an analyst type. But mm-hmm. uh, if you may recall, I mean, this is going to add a little fire to that Texas A&M LSU rivalry. And Kevin Falk is the guy, you may recall, that seven-overtime LSU Texas A&M game two years ago. He's the one that ended up punching old, what was it, Jimbo's <laughs> nephew. So, yes, you're right. <laughs> oh, man, now he's going to be even closer to the action next year. Oh, man, his nephew better watch out, son. <laughs> uh, I like it. Um, I, I'm hearing a lot of people excited about it, you know, because it's an LSU native, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's what you want to – this is, I mean, the, I guess the dream job, the, our dream step for uh, Falk and – I remember, golly, I remember when he was playing balls. I'm getting old, Mike. And then on the flip side, Shane, this is one of those, we don't always get these coach movements where I think it really works out for both sides because Tommy Robinson, I thought he did an outstanding job there at LSU. You know, Mm -hmm. in in previous years, some of his running backs, Darius Geis, Nick Brissett, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, of course, the Clydesdale, all those guys went well over 1,000 yards rushing, uh, all of them had 11 or more touchdowns, and we're talking just in each season, those guys were starters. So, AM is let me, get. Let me ask you something. Uh-huh. Uh, let me, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to go too too far. Like, how how far do you go crediting a coach? You know, I, it's nothing nothing against him, nothing mm-hmm. against the Texas AM hire. I think, you know, I think everything's going to work out. AM's got a lot of talent down there, but, you know, you're talking about guys. You're talking about Clydesdale, guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. Do, how much do you think that has to do with a running backs coach? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of factors, obviously, you know, offensive line and scheme and everything. But, yeah, I think Geis was really touted. But mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, Clydesdale was a three-star recruit. And, I mean, you were the first one touting this kid and. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he exceeded everyone's expectations That's outside of yours. You were already expecting it. So, I don't know. I think he did a nice job developing him. But, again, that could be, you know, it's a little bit easier to run the ball when you got Joe Burrow just torching everybody through the air, too. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. the way I really, you know, grade these guys, if you're especially if you're hiring them, is do they have SEC experience? Did they excel where they're, you know, coaching the position and recruiting it? I mean, he signed guys like five-star John Emery Jr. Uh, last season, also uh, Tyron Davis, so four-star recruit. So I think if you're the Aggies, you got to be pretty fired up. I don't, I don't necessarily think Tommy Robinson was, I don't want to say welcome back at LSU because he nearly took the South Carolina job as well, but mm-hmm. didn't get that running back job. But I think it just, like I said, this is one that works out because LSU gets their guy and Kevin Falk. 
Texas A&M yeah. gets their guy, Tommy Robinson. And hell, Shane, we all win because uh, here we go. <laughs> we got Aggies and LSU go head-to-head once again, and I, I just love that. Uh, anytime we get to talk about Jimbo's, what is it, nephew? Is that mm-hmm. what you said? Yeah, I, th- I think it was his God, nephew that got boy. punched. Jeez Louise, I, I'm telling you, what a game that was. <laughs> a la- last thing on LSU before we hop off here, Shane. Somehow we missed this clip, but uh, this came during the Super Bowl week. This recently uh, filtered out here, but Joe Burrow says Alabama tried to recruit him to be the third-string quarterback when he was leaving Ohio State, and Joe Burrow ain't forgotten that. I mean, so when I was transferring from Ohio State, I was third on the depth chart as a junior coming off a broken hand, a broken throwing hand, and not a lot of people really wanted anything to do with me. People, I mean, people like Alabama were calling and wanted me to be their third-string quarterback, and I was like, me? Like, you guys, you guys must not know about me yet. Man, so this is an incredible <laughs> shame because if you put the pieces together, what he's basically saying is here, they were going to have Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow. They were trying to get that at Alabama in the same quarterback room. Joe Burrow wanted no part of that. But, you know, I think little stories like this is probably what motivated Joe Burrow to, you know, develop into the player that he is now. I love it, man. Dude, he's got a list. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> You ever seen that movie? Was it uh, not Mr. Deeds, but Adam Sandler? And you know, he calls that dude, and he 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 says, "Man, I just want to apologize, you know, for being." Oh no, no, no! It's when it's he went Bi- back. Billy to Madison. Yeah, Billy Madison. And then he's got that list on his wall, and he <laughs> marks through it. It's like if you, I think if you go into his room, Joe's room, there is a list, and it includes teams like Ohio State and Alabama, and you know what I'm saying. And each one of these teams have been marked through, and that's just that's just the progression, and that's kind of the attitude Joe has. And uh, man, it's going to be missed next year. I'll tell you that. All right, Shane, let's uh, kick it over to Rocky Top. Balls are back. Before long, we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we play's ass. Where this happened uh, late last week, but I just wanted to make this note because you know, we've already kind of hit on these hires, but Tennessee officially announced the hire of defensive line coach Jimmy Brumbaugh and outside linebackers coach Shelton Felton. But the most <laughs> interesting thing, the thing I wanted to ask you about, because I didn't realize this when the hire was made, but this defensive line coach, Brumba, he's going to be the co-defensive coordinator as well. He's earned that title. Now, he coached with uh, Derek Ansley, the defensive coordinator, when they were both at Kentucky. So there's a relationship there. You know, it's very important to have the back end and your the front end of your defense kind of in cohesion and understanding what one and another are doing. So it makes some sense. But why I bring this up and why I kind of note this as being important I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast yet, but Tennessee, outside of Pruitt and Ansley, completely new coaches on every facet of the defensive side of the ball from last year to this year. Does that cause you any concern? Because I know Tennessee was certainly trending in the right direction on the defensive side of the ball. So now we got a guy coming in here who last year was Colorado D-line coach. Now he's co-defensive coordinator of Tennessee's defense. 
a little bit, uh, not so much just because Pruitt's so involved with the defense, you know? Yeah. I mean, you like the continuity, obviously, the the staff to stay together, but uh, you remember several times last year, it was Pruitt that was talking to the defensive line, you know, not mm-hmm. Rocker or any of these guys. It was, it was him getting them fundamentally sound. So, yeah, I don't think they missed that much of a beat because I think he's going to come in and, and coach Pruitt's way. Yeah, and we should also note this uh, Shelton Felton, the new offensive line, or excuse me, outside linebackers coach, while he was at Akron last year, he was at Tennessee's, he was an analyst two years ago, so he also yeah. has familiarity with the system. And last thing on Shelton Felton, Shay, we made fun, you know, <laughs> that's such a great name, Shelton Felton. <laughs> he has two sons, Shane, get this, Shelton Felton Jr. and Shelton Felton the third. Golly. How can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd love. I'd love to get him on one day and ask. Just, I mean, because obviously it's important, and I, I hate to make fun of it and find out there's some backstory to Shelton Felton. But I swear, every time I hear it, I think of Wedding Singer Man. <laughs> Julia, Gulia. Julia, Gulia. All right, last stop here, Shane. Let's uh, jump on down to Fayetteville. Yes, sir. Uh, late last week, the SEC has uh, denied a waiver for Arkansas. They were trying to play the spring game in Little Rock in War Memorial Stadium, uh, but the SEC does not allow you to do that unless your stadium is currently being renovated or you know being worked on, what have you. So. Arkansas was planning to have that game in Little Rock. They're going to keep it in Fayetteville. And I know that's unfortunate for fans that they're in Little Rock, but I think at the end of the day, Sam Pittman, if he was being honest, he did not want to play this game in Little Rock, and I'll tell you why. Because when you move those games, even if it's because of construction or what have you, you there's a strict rule you are not allowed to host recruits off campus under any circumstance so you, you can't do it at a bowl game you can't mm-hmm. do it at any neutral site game and it's the same deal if you have the spring game away from your campus and you know a, a team like Alabama Georgia Florida you know the LSU teams at the top of the of the SEC that's not going to kill you but right. if you're Arkansas you're trying to get some momentum with a new coach they're already recruiting so well you have got to do everything in your power to hit a grand slam with your spring game, get the most out of it, get all these recruits and their family on campus. So while this is, you know, like I said, unfortunate news for some Arkansas fans, I think this is going to be a good thing for the Arkansas program. Absolutely. As much interaction as you can, not just, not just with the player, but the player's family too, you know? So I think that's a, I think that's a big, big deal for them. And that was the only spring game we were waiting for. So now we've got the complete lineup here. I'll give it to you quickly, Shane. April 3rd, Vanderbilt will play their spring game. April 4th, the following day, South Carolina. And then the next weekend, April 11th, we got Auburn, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Missouri. They're all going to play. April 18th, the following weekend, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. Oh, taking taking that day off. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hate how they they all package them in like that. And then Arkansas, April twenty fifth. So, man, we we're only a couple weeks away here from just a month of nothing but spring games. All every weekend in April is going to have SEC football. Uh, man, that's I'm getting excited just thinking about it. 
who's breaking the record, Mike. You know, I mean, there's every every year new coaches. They create new buzz. I'm just wondering, in your opinion, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to reach out. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Mississippi State. I think Coach Ooh. Leach. I think the Cowbells. I think they break a record this year during the spring game with uh, most attendance in a, in a game. Well, who you got? Oh, uh, are you are we going just of the new coaches here? Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 no. You can go anywhere. Just you think they're going to break a record, or at least come close to it. You know who's going to who's the fans are going to. Which one are they most buzzed about and going to uh, participate in spring game? Mm-hmm. I think Mississippi State. That's a solid bet. So I'm not going to say that. I think the two on my list. Ole Miss staying in the state there because of Lane Kiffin and everything he's doing. I think he's got a very underrated roster coming back. But uh, the other one that I think could really, you know, the momentum could keep trending here with a solid spring outing. I'm going to give that to the Florida Gators and Dan Mullen. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, Shane. What was it all offseason last year we got? and And I thought it was a mistake. It was Dan Mullen and these Florida players and a lot of their fans running their mouth, mm-hmm. I don't hear that this year. And I, th- I think that's no. the right move. I, you let jo- let Georgia do all the talking. You know, you've got to right. beat them on the field, stay quiet, fly under the radar. I think that's kind of the approach this year in Gainesville, and I think that's that could be the right, the much better approach in my opinion. Uh, how bad did they beat Florida State last year? Do you know? Do you got that score? I'm just trying to – I'm wondering what's uh, what's Dan's troll job going to be here with attendance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a damn yeah, that was a blowout. So, uh, th- yeah, they're going to get creative with that one, no doubt. <laughs> I love it, man. All right, Shane. So let's get to our interview here with Chris Lee of Vandy Sports. He gave us a, some terrific insight here on what in the hell's going on there with Malcolm Turner's departure after only one year, and a lot of insight here on. Derek Mason's status and what's going on. Where's all this money going? Where's this SEC money going, Shane? I, that's the number one question yeah. I, I always get yep. asked. Uh, but let's kick it over to Chris Lee. This is a really great interview here. All right. We're pleased to be joined by Chris Lee, publisher of Vandy Sports and the host of the Vandy Sports podcast. You can find his work at Chris Lee 70 on Twitter and, of course, over at VandySports.com. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here, Michael. Thank you. Well, the main reason I reached out to you is just, my goodness, you've just been crushing all this news when it comes to the AD, Malcolm Turner. They're stepping away from the job at Vanderbilt after only one year. And of course, this was you know, seen by many as an unconventional hire when it was made. But I know based on your reporting, you, you guys kind of had a clue this was coming. But you know, before you got your initial inkling there... I mean, how stunning was it to you that Malcolm Turner, after only one year, out at Vanderbilt? Well, starting around December, something just didn't feel right. It seemed like there was a very much a slowing in terms of what you were hearing under the radar about where they were going with facilities and fundraising. And then just the thing seemed to hit a stop for a while. And when that does that, you start asking questions. And in January, probably mid-January, I started to find out that his relationship with Vanderbilt was not good. And I think in hindsight, there were probably faults on both sides, but it led to a departure in early February that did not surprise me because uh, for three weeks, it seemed before that, like that's where this was headed. So with Malcolm Turner now out, I mean, 
I don't even know if you can assign a grade to the job he did there, but you know what he accomplished in his one year, obviously the big news of uh, bringing in Jerry Stackhouse, but aside from that, what did he really accomplish in his one year there at Vanderbilt? Well, he had an ambitious facilities plan, and I think that's the question is what's left of it. How far did it get? I mean, and Michael, this is a situation where I think there's fault on both sides, and it's hard to know who to trust. Um, you know, from what the people in his corner a little bit told me was he did have some big plans. Uh, I think those got poo-pooed on the way out by some people in the McGugan Center building. Uh, so I wonder what's true and wonder what's not. But I know, and I had heard this at the time, that basically all the options were open. And that's the information I was getting. That's the information I've heard after the fact. I think the question is, how much of it was, was practical? Um, I think there's a couple levels to that in terms of what should they have done, um, in terms of what should they have done, what was the school going to allow. And then probably the key thing is fundraising. And I think that's where this seems to have gone in a bad direction lately. I don't know if the school will step in and fund some of it itself uh, to save some face. I don't know what the school is even going to bite off at this point, but I do know that they've got a lot of donors who are very upset with them right now and wanting to hit the pause button on donations until they feel better about the school leadership and how it's run and how it treats athletics. So I think Malcolm Turner potentially could have done a really good job in if it's going to get funded in the end, then what does it really matter? Mm -hmm. Well, I got to be honest with you. The number one question that I get asked from fans outside of Vanderbilt is what exactly the school and the athletic department does with all this money that they get from the SEC, you know, contracts and revenue and all that. So I'm sure you get asked that question all the time. What, what is your answer to that? Well, I think that's a great question and, and it's a moving target. I think, at times, they've had to pay the school back about $12, $13 million for the full cost of scholarships, which is a lot of places not uncommon to have to pay those back. Uh, but, but A, Vanderbilt's a lot more expensive, and B, Vanderbilt has a lot smaller revenue base through ticket sales and merchandising and whatever comes with that than those other schools. So you've got a disproportionate price tag for that compared to your competitors. Uh, and you've also got a smaller revenue stream to offset that with. So mm -hmm. that's been one thing historically that has set them back. Um, I think that got pulled back in the time being when Turner took the job. Uh, the question I have now is where that stands. I don't have evidence to think that's changed, uh, but I also haven't really asked or pushed in on a firm answer either. And at Vanderbilt, with it being a moving target all the time and the school always seeming to try to take back a lot of the gains that athletics makes, um, it's not something that I've ruled out before I've asked it, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, with Turner out, what, if anything, does that affect Derek Mason's future at Vanderbilt? Do you have any sense of that? I mean, how hot is his seat, if at all, there in Nashville? Well, I think Malcolm wanted to make the change. I think the price tag with that was going to be about $15 million. And I think he got told no for that reason. Um, whether that makes him safer for this coming year, I don't know. I think that they're still going to owe him maybe half of that number. It was an estimate that somebody gave me. You know, the question is, at the time where the school seems to have pulled back again on athletics or at least created the appearance of it with the way that it's meeting resistance from donors, I think that's a good question. I don't know if the school would bite off that kind of buyout or not. They did it once with Bryce Drew, and again, that was Turner having clearance to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's really my question is, if he doesn't have a good season this fall, and I think it's going to be an uphill climb for him to do it, 
does the school have the political will to write that kind of check? And I think that's where, historically speaking, uh, that's not been the kind of expenditure that's been popular there. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with these numbers, but uh, Bill Connolly over at ESPN, uh, formerly of uh, SB Nation, you know, he puts out returning production numbers for every college football team in the nation. And Vanderbilt returns 93% of the production it had on defense. But of course, the defense wasn't that good. 13th in the SEC in scoring. That's the highest percentage of defenders returning. But then on the flip side, Vanderbilt returns only 35% of its offensive production, and they were last in the SEC in scoring at only 16.5 points per game. So I don't know, where does this leave Vanderbilt heading into the 2020 season when, yes, you're bringing back a ton of defenders, but they weren't necessarily very effective last year. And then on the flip side, you got an offense that was being poorly run and they're bringing back, you know, the, the least production in that entire side of the ball in the SEC. Well, let's start with the offense. Um, that offense was a whole lot more talented than the production showed. It was horribly managed. The philosophy was horrible, and that's why they have a new offensive coordinator. I mean, I think people will look back on them one day and say they had Jared Pinkney and Keyshawn Pawn, and mm-hmm. how in the world were they as bad as they were? Uh, and people, that'll beg some questions in hindsight because those guys were good players under Andy Ludwig and, and throwing Kaleida Lipscomb in that group, too. They also lost Devin Cochran to Georgia Tech. He was, was going to be their best returning lineman. So that's not going to hurt. It's just hard to find a rosy future on that side of the ball this year. They are breaking new quarterbacks. And so that and a makeshift offensive line that wasn't very good last year, that's going to be a tough formula to bite off. Defense, I think, is where the mystery is because, it's like you said, they return a lot of players, but those were players that weren't very good last year. But we oftentimes see guys as sophomores become juniors and juniors become seniors, players get better. And especially places like Vanderbilt where they redshirt. It's not like Alabama where the cream of the crop is going onto the NFL after the sophomore year. Sometimes your better defenders are redshirt seniors and that experience helps. I think that's the question I have is how much experience do they gain? How much does that help? And maybe more importantly, how much does a new defensive coordinator help? And they got Ted Roof there, mm-hmm. and he's a good one. Um, he's had some success other places. I think Jason Tarver was basically a disaster. So I think starting over with fresh, with fresh leadership will also help them. Yeah, so you mentioned there Ted Roof, the new defensive coordinator. They also hired Todd Finch from Louisiana Tech to run the offense. And, you know, that was not a name I was that familiar with. I know Louisiana Tech – has had a lot of success uh, excuse me success here on the football field in recent seasons and looking at the numbers I mean they had one of the top offenses in their league and right before we hopped on here Vanderbilt announced the hiring of Tony Ball the receivers coach who spent some time there at Louisiana Tech with Todd Finch so maybe a little bit early because we're just getting into spring ball but any uh, early impressions on Todd Finch and what he's going to bring to Vanderbilt's offense well, I had the first practice this morning. I couldn't go, but one of our riders did. It did get tipped off a little bit that the install is, is very simple right now. It's going to be much more pass-heavy. Fitch, I think the interesting thing will be seeing him call plays. He did not do that at Louisiana Tech, um, but I think he's a highly regarded offensive mind. People think well of him. Like I said, he doesn't have a lot to work with, but they were so bad last year, they almost in some ways can't help but be better. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is probably a question that uh, cannot be answered at this point, but 
who in the world is going to start for quarterback at Vanderbilt next season? I mean, do we have any inkling of who that's going to be? Well, they're bringing four of them in. Two of them are there now. One of them is Ken Seals, who had a very productive prep career in Texas. The other one is Jeremiah Musa, um, who is a JUCO kid, who's been hurt. And I'm not sure how much work he did this morning. Those are the only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. They'll be joined by two more in the fall. One's Danny Clark, who was at Kentucky, who's got a big arm, mm -hmm. uh, but has not produced at a D1 level yet. And the other one is Mike Wright out of Atlanta, who I think is just a phenomenal talent. Um, can fly, has got a pretty good arm. I think that kid uh, was potentially a really big steal for them in recruiting, but he's not going to be there right now because he's still finishing high school. So how much of a leg up the Ken Seals and Musa get on the competition, um, I think that will help them. How will that hold into the fall? I guess we'll wait and see. Now, how surprised were you, if at all, when uh, Mo Hassan transferred out of there? Because obviously – he went to uh, the USC Trojans, who seem to be pretty set at the quarterback position. And I don't know if you caught this from, uh, let's give this guy a shout out, Antonio Morales of The Athletic, who I guess once Hassan you know, announced he was going to USC, did an interview with this guy and said, this is uh, Hassan's direct quote here, given some of the politics and certain things that were out of my control, it became apparent that I should look around for different opportunities for my final year. I mean, that's uh, that's an interesting comment. He didn't go any further there, but do you have any inkling of what Hassan was referencing there outside of, obviously, the, the change of offensive philosophy? Well, there's three things I can think of. I think last year a lot of promises were made to that quarterback room, uh, some of them conflicting with each other coming from the head coach. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one issue. I think that that room was – I'm not going to say a mess because it's not like those kids didn't like each other. Uh, but when you need consistency of message from the leader. When you're not giving that, that sets things up to be a problem. I think that was an issue a year ago. I think number two, Mo Hassan has had a concussion history. Vanderbilt is a really, really difficult place to get cleared for a concussion, and I don't think that's a bad thing about them. I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, but the fact is, a kid like that who's 20, 21, whatever Mo Hassan is a lot of times, is not thinking about life in front of him. He's thinking about how can I get on the football field. And you can do that a lot easier at other schools, not named Vanderbilt. So I think that's number two. Uh, number three, I think the kid wanted a scholarship. I think that's why he left Syracuse and went JUCO. I don't know what promises were or were not made to him at Vanderbilt, but I think not getting one of those, especially at a time where they signed four other kids, I'm guessing didn't sit well with him either. Mm -hmm. So heading into, obviously, spring ball started this week here in Nashville. What are the biggest storylines for you heading into that camp uh, there in Nashville? Well, it's always quarterback and who emerges there and, and maybe who steps up at wide receiver. They've got some talented younger kids and Cam Johnson, Amir Abdul-Rahman, who redshirted last year because of an injury and I think has got big time, big play potential for them. He certainly flashed it. At the end of 2018, I think running back, they've got to find a new one to replace Keyshawn Vaughn. And, of course, the offensive line is going to have to be reshaped. Defensively, I think it's can their defensive line look more like an SEC defensive line. They've got a couple of transfers coming in, Malik Langham from Alabama, Derek Green from uh, Oklahoma. Both those kids had to sit out last year. I think both of them 
Well, maybe not both, but Langham would have helped him last year. So they're beefing up along the defensive line, which has been an issue for really just about the whole last 50 years of Vanderbilt football, accepting some of what James Franklin did. So I think that and the transition to Ted Roof, and, and can he make them a better unit? Last year, I think a lot of guys were maybe playing out of position uh, or didn't understand the schemes they were asked to run. So I think between the upping of the talent on the defensive line and a different scheme, it'll be interesting to see how much of a step forward they can take. All right, last question I got for you. So last year, you know, we got to interview Derek Mason for SEC Media Days and some of his uh, outstanding players there. And they, they all had the right message when it comes to, you know, they had such a difficult start to the season, opening at home against Georgia, at Purdue, LSU. I mean, that was almost like a murderer's row to come out the gate. It gets a lot easier this upcoming season because they're opening against Mercer. Do you think, you know, given how, I don't want to say easy because I don't think any game in college football is easy, but, you know, you're not going into that murderer's row this season for Vanderbilt, getting off to the right start. How big could that be uh, for this program heading into 2020? Well, the weird thing, Michael, looking back on that question, I think that's the thing that we all thought might derail what could have been a good season. I don't think that had anything to do with it. In the end, I don't think that it really wrecked confidence. They didn't have a lot of injury problems. What killed them was losing the UNLV in the middle of the year, and that was a bad loss. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think when you're playing a Mercer, I think that game is at the right place on the schedule given the quarterback situation. Uh, it gives them a chance to gain a little bit of confidence, as you said, just out of the gate, it not being what it was that helps. But, you know, it, it didn't really factor in a year ago like we thought it would then uh, but that doesn't mean that it might not factor differently this year Mm -hmm. all right so there you go that's from chris lee the publisher of vandy sports and of course the host of vandy sports podcast go over to vandy sports if you're a big vanderbilt fan you gotta subscribe to their website subscribe and rate the podcast there they do outstanding work and of course you can follow chris at chris lee 70 on twitter thanks again chris we really appreciate you doing this anytime All right, Shane, so there you have it, the first team to kick off spring football in the SEC. And, uh, you know, I appreciate, once again, Chris Lee jumping on and joining the show there. I thought uh, that was outstanding information to give us some insight into the Vanderbilt program. But, uh, you know, based on what he had to say, you know, it seems like Vanderbilt's in an interesting spot because it doesn't seem like he's very high on their chances next year, which is not a, you know, not a stunner by any means. But, uh, and then based on kind of what he had to say, it looks like, Regardless of how bad it is, it seems like Derek Mason may be safe for at least another year. You think so? Well, I just, I, don't, I, I just don't know if they have the <laughs> the resources or the <laughs> or they're interested in. I don't the plug, know. You know this this money thing. I still now I get it. There there this isn't Alabama. This isn't you know Florida. This is they're having to pay for the scholarships. What do you say? Seventeen million uh-huh. is that what you know? But. Mike, you got to spend money to make money. And surely the business kids at, at Vanderbilt can figure this out, that they have potential to be productive. I mean, they had a small taste of it when Franklin was there. Mm-hmm. You know, they were getting the buzz. The, 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 the fans were showing up. Everybody was talking about Vanderbilt, and, and they went away from it. The reason that Franklin left is because there's no commitment to football there, dude. And... And like I said, you've got to spend money to make money. I, I kind of hate 
the 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 AD situation. I, I don't really I don't really understand it. So maybe you can break it down a little bit more for the listeners. But you know, it sounds to me like he was trying mm-hmm. to spend money, and, and I, I don't know if it was for the betterment of the football program, but. You know that's what you got to do to to be. I mean, they got they got one of the best baseball teams ever. You know, there's right. they've had flashes in basketball. Why can't they just take it by the reins and, and make? Don't get me wrong. I'm a Tennessee Vol fan. I, I enjoy Vanderbilt not, you know, being competitive in football year in year out. Even though they've beat us a few times the last decade, mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm waiting for it. it. Who's who's going to be the guy that finally does pull the trigger and say, "Hey, listen, we just made seventy-one million dollars uh, for this SEC deal. We need to put it back into football because if we don't, nobody—I mean, nobody—nobody nobody cares. Nobody's going to show up." Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a real weird situation there. And from what Chris told me, kind of off the air, it just goes so deep there. And I think the real issue was uh, they had a former president that hired Malcolm Turner. And I think a promises were made, assurances were made, you know, we're going to have this commitment to putting in the finances that we need to, to turn this thing around. And then the president stepped away and then in comes new leadership and they're looking at the budget like, what in the hell? We're, we're spending yeah. money at Vanderbilt. So I think that was kind of the beginning of the end there for Malcolm Turner. And uh, it just leaves well, Vander- Vanderbilt kind of like in limbo here. What was he trying to accomplish with spending that money? Because he was a little loose with the checkbook. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what he, the main thing they wanted to accomplish was upgrading the Vanderbilt football stadium and facilities, which are by far the worst in the SEC. Hell, there was a story here about a year and a half ago here in Nashville where Beyonce and someone else, you know, they played a show there at Vanderbilt football stadium. And they said that the thing nearly came crashing down because they, they had so many people in there. So if it can't support Golly. something like that, I mean, they're lucky. They're, there's probably issues that people don't know about because the football stadium is rarely sold out. You know, this is so stupid, man. I mean, this is football's entertainment. You know, mm-hmm. now I know Vanderbilt creates great doctors and, you know, probably people I need on a daily basis. There's, you know, so we need Vanderbilt people. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it, Vanderbilt's a, a fantastic school academically. But, man, this is SEC football. There's only 14 teams in here and you've got to show some sort of commitment to football. I mean, that's that's what's making this thing. That's what's making these other sports relevant you know that 71 million dollar check that comes in that's not for all sports that's for football man you know and and they gotta put if they just revamp the whole stadium but they if they had if they do that mike in nashville could you imagine i mean they really could be something special but i just you need you need the right coach you could sell the academics the city i mean vanderbilt legitimately is sitting on a juggernaut and it and it seems like they're disinterested in in trying to do anything with it seriously man imagine the celebrities that could get behind and make this thing popular you know you know how they do in the basketball games they're always flashing up in the audiences and there's so-and-so and and Mm -hmm. jack nicholson and all these (laughs) i mean you you could get some of nashville country folk to commit and come in there and, and make it fun man make it a fun environment and you know start i mean i just don't see it happening. I, I the, the one guy that did try to get it happen gets fired. Mm-hmm. 
All right, well, let's kick it over. We do have some comments here from Derek Mason after uh, the first day here of spring practice. You know, obviously, you know, they go pretty easy in the first day, but Mason had his eye on his quarterbacks here. I thought he had some good insight here on Ken Seals and their Juco quarterback, Jeremiah Musa. And then, uh, obviously, he made, you know, at least Mason's trying here, had two coordinators, weren't getting the job done. I think he's made two upgrades from getting uh, Ted Roof and his offensive coordinator there from Louisiana Tech Fitch. So I like both those hires. Uh, here's Derek Mason kind of talking about what those two coordinators are trying to accomplish here early in spring practice. Both of your new coordinators have talked about wanting to evaluate players, see what they're good at, and then kind of tweak the scheme based on that. What's that process like? Yeah. Is that something you guys discuss after practice? The film? How does that go? Well, I just want to make sure, like from my vantage point, I'm looking at big picture. I'm looking at, okay, man, how do we move as a, a as a unit? How cohesive is the communication on both sides of the ball? You know, like how are these guys competing? They don't have pads on, so you want you want more of a lineman assignment, okay, with, with, with a little bit of, you know, scheme execution. And so, uh, I just need to make sure, man, that I get what I need so that these guys can truly evaluate exactly what these guys can do. Quarterbacks this spring, as they kind of get adjusted? They get adjusted. <laughs> I want to see the ball in playmakers' hands. I mean, I, don't, I want to see guys making plays. And, and believe me, we got enough guys to make plays. Uh, you know, I, I watched I watch Ken today. I thought Ken, you know, been moved uh, around well. I thought Musa threw the ball well. He's still, he's still you know, a little ways away, but... Man, I mean, the arm talent is really undeniable. I mean, it's just good to see these guys step on the grass, get the ball out, and, and, and function a little bit. Seals looks accurate. Is that your first impression? He is. Both of these guys can 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 throw the football. I mean, we knew that coming in. Uh, we needed to get better, but it's good to see them on the grass. You know, it's hard when you come out for your first practice and you're trying to think about getting guys lined up. Okay, man, where do we go? How do I function? I thought... I thought Ken handled it well, you know, man, for an incoming freshman. And again, you know, man, Jeremy's not not full go, but I mean, I've seen enough to know and understand that he, he's he's got arm talent. Vocal and all that. Seals really can't sit back because he's got to be out there getting reps. Yeah. How much are you evaluating how he interacts with the guys? How much he leads? Uh, I saw Seals today get after a wide receiver on a missed route. Uh, receiver ran the wrong route and. And Ken went right up to him and right after him. And I think that's what you want to see. Listen, th- th- this is not for the faint of heart. You know, I mean, you got to step on the field. If you're going to play quarterback, I mean, you got to be over there, you know, I mean, command the grass, command the position. And so, I mean, it was good to see a young quarterback uh, in his first practice know exactly what happened and-, and-, and really hold somebody accountable for what they need to do. Is that the biggest key for him, taking leadership along with learning what he's doing? Absolutely. I mean, he's smart enough. These quarterbacks are smart enough, but they're going to learn what they need to do. Uh, I think the offense, one thing about Coach Fitch, he's made the offense, you know, quarterback friendly. So in terms of those guys picking it up, when you watch those guys out there today, I thought they did a really good job of just orchestrating what needed to be done. All right, Shane. So Derek Mason sound pretty fired up about his quarterbacks here. And if nothing else, that's got to give you hope because, I mean, that's all you really need sometimes is just a breakout player at quarterback. Not necessarily saying, you know, we're talking day one here. It's not like they got the next Johnny Manziel. But if one of these kids can come in here and play, you know, that was one of the major issues Vanderbilt had last year. They kept getting quarterbacks injured. They can just keep these guys healthy. Maybe they got uh, themselves a player in, in one of these two. You never know, man. I mean, quarterbacks – what about the the freshman Chris Lee was talking about? I mean, do you think he's going to be a, a contender? 
Well, you know, it's interesting when he said that because um, I have heard, for, for anybody that knows this name, Barton Simmons from uh, 247 Sports. He's one of the best at, uh, you know, the recruiting services and evaluating these players and everything. Mm-hmm. And I heard him after uh, on National Signing Day was kind of breaking down the classes. And he had mentioned the guy's name is Michael Wright, the quarterback from Atlanta. Same thing Chris Lee kind of said, where this could be a kid where, you know, few people know what Vanderbilt's getting here. I mean, he touted him as a potential future star. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting, you know, that's just kind of the local vibe, obviously, here from, from Nashville, from Chris Lee. So, you know, it may not even be these two. It could be Michael Wright from Atlanta, who's a kind of a dual threat type quarterback. That's probably what helped. The offense there, you got to be, you know, multiple in what you can do if you're a team like Vanderbilt, and maybe it's him. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it, just based on what Mason had to say, though, I think um, I'd be pretty fired up if my freshman's out here <laughs> telling telling people, you know, to do their damn job. You know, well, that's one thing they had a lot of trouble with last year is just leadership. It felt like, you know, so uh, you hate that it has to be a freshman, but you love that it's a quarterback because that. I mean that. That's the captain, and if he if he can get these boys fired up and get the best out of them, who knows? Uh, he's got a small window to take advantage of the time before the other guys show up on campus. So uh, who knows? This may be our guy. Absolutely, Shane. Well, that's all I've got on this one. You know, a little breakdown here. Not a ton of going on, obviously, because we just got this one team here in spring camp. Now, uh, Will Muschamp did meet with the media here on Tuesday. And don't feel like uh, we're holding out on you, South Carolina fans, because we got another guest lined up for tomorrow's show. So we're going to deep dive into South Carolina spring and everything going on with the Gamecock program. And then we'll throw in Will Muschamp's comments there. But So there's more to look forward to this week on the show. Uh, but I think that this is going to be a pretty late one for us. So that's this is pretty much all I got, Shane. <laughs> you got anything before we hop off here? I do want to ask you, since we, you know, we talked a lot about Vandy here. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you at the end of this uh, spring, at the you know spring practice, what kind of storyline or what kind of questions are you looking to have answered going into uh, going into summer? Well, I think for me, you know, obviously we kind of hit on it there with Chris Lee, just the massive production that Vanderbilt's losing with mm-hmm. the guys like Keyshawn Vaughn and Jared Pinckney and Kalijah Litscomb, all gone, all, all the quarterbacks. I mean, we've kind of hammered home the quarterbacks on this one. So who are the other players that are going to emerge? Because Vanderbilt is just returning so little on offense. You know, is it going to be a Cam Johnson? Is that going to be the next guy that emerges, or is it someone else? So I really need to see who is ready to step up on the at the skill positions you know, who's going to be the next leaders on offense because they're likely going to have to play with either a very young quarterback or a quarterback from the JUCO ranks that doesn't have a ton of SEC experience. And it's just not realistic to expect these quarterbacks are going to light the world on fire year one, mm-hmm. especially with a lack of skill around them. So who mm-hmm. steps up? Who's ready to help these quarterbacks? Because if they're not able to do it, man, we're talking potentially a historically I mean, it was already a poor offensive year, but we're talking historically poor because those three guys I mentioned are all going to be playing in the NFL next year. Right. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball, Mike. You know, something that you brought up in the interview is the amount of talent that they're bringing back on defense. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, even though the defense did struggle last year, 
they are coming back and you know they are going to be bigger faster stronger but are they going to be more solid you know this is mason's bunch and uh, what they put on the field last year was just embarrassing do they take the step forward and i i think I want to see how sound they are. I kind of want to see, don't get me wrong, I don't want to see the quarterback struggle, but I want to see the quarterback struggle to find those windows, you know, or running backs to find those holes because the defense is playing so much better than that offense. Because if you think about Vandy and their best years, it all started on that side of the ball. And this is Coach Mason's baby. So that's, that's, I guess, the one I'm looking at uh, coming out of spring here. So you're saying if one of these Vandy quarterbacks is looking like Joe Burrow by the end of the spring, we're yeah. got some problems. <laughs> That's right. You better start selling that alcohol at the spring game, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, so that's going to do it on this one. Uh, Remember, if you got your iPhone there, uh, give us a five-star rating and review. That really helps the show, especially those written reviews. So each and every one of those goes a long way. We send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. Uh, But that's going to do it on this one, Shane. Thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls.